This is a production of Cornell University. Thanks, everybody. This is uh, our fifth week now of the Cornell Turf Show, Episode 9, Master's Week Edition. Uh, and today's guest, a master in soils, a master in growth, uh, Doug Soldat uh, from the University of Wisconsin-Madison's here uh, chat with us today. Um, it's a beautiful day. I don't know if we're going to have any live viewers, so a lot of you will probably be listening uh, you know, through our podcast or YouTube. Um, so as always, we'll get started with a little weekly wrap up. Uh, Frank Rossi will take us through. Uh, Frank, uh, anything, any notes on, on the last week of weather here? I know it's been a bit abnormal for us. Yeah, Carl, thanks a lot. Um, you know, uh, spring is here. Uh, the bluebirds are back and, and so are many of us. Uh, so are many of the old retire folks that really make up a good part of the workforce on a lot of golf courses or around the country. You'd be hard pressed to find uh, community golf courses that really don't rely in some way on uh, retired folks that uh, are making their way back from maybe from warmer weather or they're just been locked up for the winter and many of them are happy to just get back out and they're and they're a big part of getting the work done uh, on the golf course and as you can see from this young man here uh, perfectly happy to do it with a smile and then of course there's all the dumb stuff that happens you know these are like badges of honor that we get to see you know the old turned over top dresser uh you wonder how it can happen uh but it does and then just a shout out to those people paying attention uh setting up check plots uh looking at uh, the pressure that you had through the winter as we continue to come out of it and this is from uh, doug's colleague uh, the wonderful majestical Dr. Paul Koch at the University of Wisconsin. But I just want to remind you again, uh, as I set Carl up for his uh, BMP minute here, we are involved with the Rochester Institute of Technology and the Pollution Prevention Institute based uh, at RIT with funding through the DEC to uh, increase the adoption of best management practices on golf courses, essentially uh, west of I-81. We have a website set up where you can uh, learn more about what we're doing. You can sign up. You can ask us a question. And one of our recent uh, uh, promotions have been around this poster that's been published. And that's where I'll pass it off to you, Carl, and ask you to take over with the BMP tip of the day. Yeah. So again, in, in a nod to our guest, Doug that today, we'll be talking about growth and and a lot about how traffic affects growth. So one of the um, one of the tips today where we're going to focus on is is targeting traffic when you're thinking about fertilizers. Um, so areas that get a lot of traffic, where you know we think of the pinch points around greens and between bunkers, those walk-on, walk-off areas. You know those those because they receive more traffic, a, de a more dense application of traffic. Uh, they probably need more fertilizer. They need more. Um, of that juice to go a little bit. And, and there's really a, a great picture here from a Green Lake State Park, kind of the iconic 16th hole there, uh, RTJ senior design. And, uh, and you can really see, this is also the impact of 2020, the individual cart riders that we saw so much. You can see that cart traffic really dense along the side of this fairway up near the green. You can see all the cart tracks. And this is a, a situation where we'd say, you know, we can see some thinning from, from all that car traffic on the side, even though it's in the rough. Hey, we might need to hit that area with a little bit more nitrogen fertilizer uh, to juice up the growth. So it's growing at the same rate as maybe some of those areas 10 or 15 yards off in the rough, which are growing just fine. But because there's no traffic, 
they don't need fertilizer, right? So being able to uh, adjust growth level, fertilizer levels with the traffic levels, uh, that's one thing we'll talk about today. And, and that's our BMP tip of the week. Excellent. And, and, uh, and before we get to Doug, uh, we're going to get to that traffic question and I'm going to, we'll set it up really good for a nice, lively conversation. And it's really starts with how dramatically early we are in many parts of the Northeast. Now, some, some areas, maybe higher elevations are lagging or haven't even started to accumulate very much yet, but a lot of areas now are really surging ahead uh, of normal conditions. You're looking, you know, in, in, in South Jersey, even in the metropolitan New York area, you're up to two weeks uh, ahead of normal. And so it's hot and people are burning, uh, uh, you know, uh, the barstool uh, video that last week with uh, Bill Salinetti and his crew at the, at the national golf links uh, doing some of the burning there. Here's some burning uh, on the right going on at shore acres in Chicago uh, and another picture here uh, in the Midwest where some burning's going on. Uh, it's it's hot, and this is a good time to do this, and a lot of uh, folks are getting out and doing it. Now, it looks like uh, we're going to be normal, below normal, and maybe a little bit on the wet side for the next couple of weeks if we follow this a little bit. Uh, I think we are going to be ahead of normal for temperature. Uh, we're talking to Art D. Gaetano just this morning. He's he's calling for warmer than normal temperatures and particularly cloudy conditions, which will keep the lows uh, well above normal. So we're expecting some rain coming through uh, the end of the weekend. Looks like we should have really good weather for us up until Sunday. And for those of us that want to watch the Masters living in the Northeast, we'll have a rainy Sunday to have an excuse to sit around and watch it. Now, as we turn to the discussion for today, uh, I pulled off some other, uh, you know, uh, things off of Twitter where people are actively uh, redoing their practice areas. A lot of people out playing, wanting to get started. Uh, trying to make a wear tolerance surface for them in these practice areas, even practice putting greens uh, where sometimes the things that they do, you know, can cause this kind of damage. E even with spikeless shoes, uh, you can see pretty significant damage from some footwear. If you stand in the same place and jiggle your feet for 35, 40 minutes, uh, this is typically what happens. Now, as we've talked about before, and we've showed this slide ad nauseum, looking at the rounds that how it went last year and what we're already beginning to see this year is this, you know, this pandemic uh, surge of golf with not much else to do. A lot of people went out and played golf and they're continuing to do that this spring. And so we're already seeing traffic rates uh, start to increase. And remember, you know, all greens have these walk on walk off areas. You see where the traffic gets very much, uh, concentrated around uh, right around the cup area. And this is why Carl and I do the shoe research really focused on this particular area where a lot of the traffic happens. But as you see, there's lots, a good green like this has a lot of entry and exit points. You know, you go to some greens, there's one entry point and one exit point. And then of course that same amount of traffic gets focused like it does uh, around the cup. So, you know, obviously on your putting surfaces, this is a pretty easy way to think about the way traffic happens. But when it comes to growth, right? Growth, I think uh, we would all agree, particularly the kind of growth that we really need to keep up with wear uh, is very much gonna be related to soil temperature. So you can see 
Soil temperatures are really now creeping into the mid to upper 50s to the southern part of the region. We're still in the mid to upper 40s here uh, in central New York. And of course, as you go a little bit west, uh, it gets a little warmer uh, and cooler as you get into higher elevations. But it's clear with some warming conditions coming, this is going to continue to occur. Now, you, you got the traffic, you've got the weather, you've got the soil, now we've got the grasses, right? Now, now for those of us experiencing traffic early uh, that have annual bluegrass, this is, you know, not necessarily the worst thing because theoretically annual bluegrass coming out and growing early or getting started is going to be well suited and adapted to that early spring traffic, whereas a lot of the modern creeping bent grasses that we use, again here proposed by Turgeon many years ago, really don't start, start their growth surge until much later uh, in the season. So I, obviously you could see trafficking a, a grass type is also going to have a factor. Now, you know, Wayne uh, and Doug working by his side and Bill working by Doug's side and me being a, having a front row seat to it all. Uh, got to observe the role that nitrogen plays, uh, you know, in the way we grow grass, right? And, and so if you had to say anything, uh, growth rates very responsive to N. A lot of it is because we purposely keep nitrogen at a pretty low N level. I mean, Wayne used to talk about before he passed on about how if you keep giving a bluegrass or a bentgrass nitrogen, they'll keep growing up to 20, 25 pounds of N uh, per thousand per year. And then, of course, we have the idea of trying to understand how to fertilize around growth potential. And then there's mowing height, Doug. So listen, now that we're here, you and me, I tried to leave a lot of time for uh, you to fill in a lot of color here. But I want to transition from this, where we know the lower we mow, the faster it grows. The warmer the soil, maybe the more nitrogen gets released. We know these plants are responsive to N. So by monitoring clipping production, which is a big topic that I know you've uh, certainly championed and espoused the best way to do it. You've got a Excel growth, uh, 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 Excel chart, uh, Excel spreadsheet people can download to load the clipping data into if they'd like that. Plus I think it's in Greenkeeper as well. I wanna talk a little bit and set you up for the deeper conversation, if you will, about nitrogen mineralization and managing it through rainfall events, uh, when the temperature says it might not grow, right? Right now we want it to grow, it doesn't wanna grow. Uh, when we get rainfall events, as Carl's demonstrated in this data here, and we see from clipping data, looking at the Vineyard Golf Club versus our research and golf course greens here at Cornell, where we're looking at clipping volume through the growing season, uh, you know, where we're able to keep it relatively safe, you know, in, in a not safe, consistent. You see early on how it behaves. And then here, the Vineyard Golf Club, you see this good indication that Carl showed here from the data that was collected out there about the surging in growth and the amount of growth they get without growth regulation. So Doug, I mashed it all up for you. <laughs> I mashed it all up. And I wanna work at this question. How, what do we know about traffic rates, grass type, weather that can maybe help us schedule and target our nitrogen rates to Carl's point about being more 
uh, intentional about this. So I'm going to stop sharing and I'm going to look at you. And I'm going to hope you followed me to some degree there as I weaved our way through that in a short period of time. This is the fastest 30 minutes, right, Carl? I'm, I'm, I'm at the right place. What do you got to say, Doug? How, what, oh. what can you, where would you start with trying to answer this for the average superintendent? Right, right. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be here. Um, you guys do such a good job with this. And you, you set up the most, right, it's the most complicated thing possible. Like, I, I, I can't answer it. But then that's perfect, because we just talk about all these factors. I think, you know, the, th the thing that I've seen in, in, you know, my relatively short career here is that we're, we're moving towards more database management. And, and it's always in the beginning of, of that, it's always a little bit like, I don't know what we're doing, you know, but I think the, the first thing I'd start is like, you get, you just got to start tracking your growth, you know, just start putting the clippings in the bucket. And I think, you know, the thing I hear more than, uh, more than anything else is people say like, well, it's just a waste of time. Cause I don't know what to do with it. And yeah, that's true, but eventually it won't be, you know, and it's easy to do. And I, you know, my research program has been learning things from growth all the time. And, and it is, it's super complicated. Cause I think what, you know, let's start with nitrogen and traffic and growth. Okay. We found that if you, you know, for our research green, we found that there's a, there seems to be an ideal clipping volume for the quality that we want to hit. Okay. And it's about between one and a half and two liters of grass per hundred square meter. That's kind of the Canadian unit where the trend started or with Michael Woods. Um, it, it converts to same thing as one to two quarts per, uh, per thousand. Okay. So now hitting that target, if we put no traffic on our green, we didn't have to fertilize at all. We'd hit it with just the normal soil, but this is in the summer. This is like right in the optimum bent grass growing season. Then when we start put traffic on it, if we put a normal level of traffic, we had to fertilize about a two tenths of a pound every other week to hit that growth target. And then if we if we simulated like just traffic around the cup, you know, all the time, really intense traffic, we had to fertilize at double that, so 0.4 pounds every other week, almost a pound a month to, to replace, to hit that growth target. So now that's the midsummer, you know, that, but when we, when we're talking now it's spring, the grass isn't growing. It's, you're not going to hit those growth targets now because there's temperature limited. So, uh, you know, Bill Kreuzer's done some great work. He's got the Nebraska, uh, nitrogen responsiveness model that tells you if you put down nitrogen now, you know, uh, because it's cold, you're only going to see, let's say, 70% uh, of what you'd expect in the optimum growing season. So we're starting to learn, you know, how weather uh, affects the growth, how the traffic affects the growth. And I have a PhD student that's doing uh, really cool work modeling that growth. So eventually down the road, you'll be able to say, we know what, what the growth targets are. We see what the weather and the nitrogen is all doing to influence the growth. And hopefully you can make really solid decisions based off that. So what would you tell somebody, you know, that summer on bent grass? it's spring they're playing golf like crazy is there any way to over are there nitrogen sources i can use or things i could have done in the fall that might increase my traffic tolerance a little earlier um than i'd like than i would normally need it in a non-pandemic recovery rebound uh growth year 
Yeah, yeah, it's good. You know, we this is bentgrass is not very traffic tolerant, right? So, and and it's an area that we need to continue doing more work on. But that said, the things I would do is I'd I'd mow early and often. So mowing stimulates that growth. So you know, we like to say mow as least as possible. Well, that's a summer optimum growing season recommendation. I would say in the spring you actually you want to mow. Now, do I have the research data that says that conclusively? No, but I'm, you know, I'm just saying this is what I think I would do. Mow it a lot uh, and use uh, a, like a nitrate-based fertilizer. Um, if you use urea, you got to wait for microbes to break it down and convert it. So if you go with something like a potassium nitrate, uh, you may get, um, or UAN is urea and ammonium nitrate. It's got all three nitrogen sources in it. You know, urea is cool because it's a really good foliar fertilizer. It'll get in through the leaves and the nitrate will come up through the roots in these cooler soil temps. So, so that, why those... do I like nitrate? What about ammonium sources? Uh, I mean, obviously we're not buying ammonium nitrate. You like ammonium sulfate. Is there any value to ammonium ammoniacal sources at this time, maybe to uh, does does uptake is uptake any different from the soil from your perspective? Yeah. So the the so ammonium's toxic. Uh, so if the if you give the if you give the plant a bunch of ammonium, it uh it, it can't store it. So it it's be ammonium's best like during active growth when it's just pounding it into growth and proteins. So if you give it nitrate, it can throw it in the vacuole if it doesn't want it, and and it's so that's one of the reasons that we like nitrate in these cool soil temperatures. But, you know, keep in mind, you know, you can shoot yourself in the foot by slinging out nitrate, trying to hit a growth target because the plant's just not growing. So, you know, you have to always in the spring and the fall, just slow and low, you know, 10th of a pound here, you know, don't be going out with high rates, trying to, trying to force growth. Cause you can, you can get in trouble there, but spoon feed it with low rates. So, so I know you've looked at this in the fall um, where we're saying meter off your end rates based on ET. We are in a particularly dry period uh, in the springtime for much of us uh, up here in the Northeast, there is some rain coming. How much does the, I think Art was saying somewhere between a quarter and three quarters of an inch of ET is uh, happening through the week now. So not a lot of ET, but some, how much does keeping it, uh, you know, the ET or the lack of it going to affect how much nitrogen comes into the plant and is able to stimulate growth? Yeah, that's exactly right. ET is the way that the nitrogen gets, gets transported to the root so it can take it up. Now, three quarters of an inch, that's not bad. You know, you're getting, you're starting to get some pretty good water movement. And so, you know, the thing, the thing I would just say is just keep your rates at a 10th or less and, and the plant can take that up. And that's what we found in, in, at least in the fall, in those cold temperatures, October, November, you start getting over a 10th and the plant just can't, there's not enough water flow. The plant can't take it up. Yeah. Two, two things here. One is, you know, there's the putting surfaces that it's practical to take up clippings, but as Carl showed in that picture, we're talking about roughs and fairways now where cart traffic's getting to be an issue. And, you know, what do I got to do? Get a rotary and start doing Bill Kreiser when he was in eighth grade, collecting clippings off the lawn. Uh, how am I going to monitor growth, Doug, in these bigger areas, pal? I'm open for suggestions because we don't have any really conclusive ideas. How would you even begin to approach such a thing? Yeah, there's got to be. So I've thought about this for fairways for a bit. And I think, I think, you know, it's, you just have to uh, delineate an area. 
uh, a length. So like how we do it on our research plots is we lay down, we have a chain, just like a, it's like a field goal chain, right? It's got, it, it, ours is like five feet long and we put our rotary mower and we mow five feet. And then we, we measure the grass that we got in that five feet. Cause I don't want to mow the whole plot. No. And if I remove all the clippings from the thing, then that messes up the study. So just pick, yeah, you can just pick a strip, you know, and, and now we're talking more labor, more effort. So maybe it's when, when we do have more information where that's, we're going to make that worth your while to mow a strip uh, of the same length of a fairway, throw the clippings in the bucket. And you know you it's a it, you can do the same thing with your with a uh, uh, rough mower, but it's going to have to be somebody walking, right? You put the collect the clippings from the from the back chute, throw them in a bucket. Um, so the, again, more labor than it is for greens, where we're already collecting clippings. But I think that's that's what it's going to have to be. And so the other part of this is what is a ritual through northern climates is the uh, early season use of potential growth regulating products. And we had our, our uh, pal Bill on um, and talking about this from a PGR perspective. Uh, we are sort of shooting ourselves in the foot here a bit uh, when we're sort of wanting growth and having these growth regulators. How do you reconcile our sort of routine use of these things in the spring and the need for growth and the nitrogen rate you might use to balance the two if possible. Yeah, it's a tough one. Again, a lot of times when we're doing these research studies, we take out those factors, you know, so like in our traffic study, PGRs weren't in effect. And so we, you know, we did a, we did a golf course fairway study with bluegrass and we put some, we put some heavy traffic on it. We put growth regulators on it. We measured the growth. And I mean, we know uh, uh, regulators on bentgrass, I don't get too worked up about because they don't, unless it's trim it, they don't do a really good job. You know, we're talking 10, 20% regulation. There's reasons to do it, but it's not, it's not like when you do it on your fairways and you're talking 50 to 80% regulation or your roughs, right? Um, so you have to keep an eye on that and, and the oversprays, you know, so I would say the first thing to do is just uh, instead of spraying the entire putting green surface and overspraying into the collars and surrounds, stop and miss portion, portions of your putting green, you know, so you don't have any overspray in those in those early spring times. But yeah, go ahead, Frank. Well, I was going to say, I thank you for making the segue really easy to uh, the last part of our conversation, which is targeted targeted nitrogen applications. If you look at that slide where the traffic is focused on a putting green, you know, historically, uh, Chris Trittabaugh's daughter, Olive, notwithstanding, very, you know, her crayons that he used to do this, it's generally not considered to be uh, prudent to use different end rates on the same putting surface. And yet, if I follow what you've just told me, if I'm getting more traffic in particular areas, I better get more growth in those areas. And if I'm using growth regulators, I cannot spray in certain places. But what about using differential end rates on a putting surface uh, to compensate for where traffic might get more focused? Yeah, you, you got to do it. You know, I showed that slide uh, of the crayons. I had a talk in the, the Northern Great Lakes Superintendents Association, the Northern Wisconsin, Northern Michigan guys. And afterwards, superintendent came up to me um, and said, my dad was a superintendent and uh, we did this back in the back in the 50s and 60s. You know, he, he'd say, hey, go uh, 
go spread some extra fertilizer on this part of the green, right? And so I think, you know, that's how you water too. So I think if, you know, if you talk to the superintendents listening, everybody's probably done differential fertilization at some point. And it's just like, we just need to start thinking about doing it a more precisely or more guided. But yeah, you get those high traffic areas that probably need twice as much more as fertilizer. You got areas on putting greens that don't need fertilizer at all. You know, and so it just like areas that you never water, you never hand water them and areas that are always wet. Right. So it's the same. It's the same concept. And I think the harder part is we just don't have the soil moisture probe to tell us exactly where the water's going like we do with nitrogen and traffic. Yeah, so it's well, a little bit two, more hard. Yeah. It's harder. Yeah. And there, so there's two things there. One is the consequences of putting N where you don't want it or need it um, has consequences in the amount of sand. Uh, we've got a sling, number one. Number two, the fear that differential N in some of these heavily cupped areas might lead to changes in playing performance, right? Carl thinks he can notice things on greens that maybe an extra tenth of a pound uh, might, might, uh, might suggest. How do you answer the concern on green speed or uh, obviously the easy one with, uh, with less N, less need for sand, we think? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do here is we're, I bet we're putting down too much sand, you know, because it's, it's just like, it's, everything is a, with precision turf has, has the same story is that it's always better to be, a, have a little bit more than to have not enough. Right. So our default is let's, let's just cover our bases, put a little bit more water on. And then as we get these moisture probes, we can fine tune that uh, with the sand. It's better right now. We're in the spot where like, you know, extra top dressing sure isn't going to hurt anything. But uh, if we can get by with less, it's going to be better. And we need, you know, same thing with nitrogen. I would say uh, we got to do the studies to say how this differential N fertilization uh, affects the, the, the characteristics of surface. I'm not worried at it at all. At all. I mean, I would say, bring it on, Carl. There's no way you're going to notice. What we're going to do, the end result, the end result is going to be more consistency because what you're doing is compensating for the diff the variation that's already there. So you're going to even things out. That's I, I have a high degree of confidence in that. Um, that's yeah. perfect. And what a great segue, Carl. How about that? So so you got any, how about questions or maybe comments you might have about what we've talked about so far? I, I think one of the comments I've made about just the number of factors that go into growth, Doug, I know you're, you're doing that research where you kind of plug in all the variables and it spits out, you know, all these environmental variables, PGRs, fertilizer, mowing height, uh, and, and you're trying to feed all that into a system to try and get it to spit out what's important. Um, you know, one of the questions Craig Corcoran had um, early in the season, we used growing degree days, just a strict measure of temperature to kind of time our seed heads or, or pre-applications. And he's saying this year, uh, growing degree days aren't really lining up with some of the phenological indicators, the stuff like the porcinthias. He's asking, you know, which one should I trust this year? Uh, what would you guys think uh, about that? Just growing degree days strictly a temperature-based versus phenological indicator. All right, so I'll answer this for crabgrass and I'll let Frank say what he thinks about the POA seed heads. But so the forsythia is our top crabgrass indicator and what, what's actually the best indicator is your soil temp because that's what the crabgrass seed is living in. So I would keep for crabgrass and pre-emergent, I would be keeping an eye on the soil temp. I don't know the answer to that, whether air temps or soil temps are, are more important for annual bluegrass. What do you think, Frank? 
Um, I think that seed head development remains elusive uh, for us to understand. I think Askew's work that started spraying it in the fall revolutionized our thinking about when this is initiated from a cell organization perspective. And that's what we have to disrupt with these things that are primarily division inhibitors. They, they, they don't allow the cells to divide. So, so this is a complicated question. I think that's why those late fall apps are better. Uh, I got a different question to Craig's uh, is, can you use phenological indicators as ways of uh, triggering some nitrogen application timings or maybe some nitrogen uh, responses or mineralization uh, of nitrogen in the soil? Can we use any of those uh, phenological indicators you've ever seen as a means of determining when I'm start going to start to get contribution? Yeah, I think so. That's where we're headed. So the like the the PhD student uh, Chiu Zhou is doing this work with bent grass growth, and you know we're starting to like the, the the weather factors that matter the most are relative humidity and temperature, like three days before. So it's like that previous day weather that's influencing the growth into the future. And I think so. That's what we're going to learn is we're going to start to be able to just use these new data crunching tools to be to know more about the growth pattern. So, you know, the, the, the classic pictures you showed in this slideshow, the, the bimodal distribution of growth, like that's great on a, on a climate basis. Uh, but what we're going to be able to do is just look at your weather and, and some of your conditions and say, this is your, this is where you're at in growth. And then you can make your decisions from there. Perfect. And, and just to wrap up Craig's question, you know, generally, I like phenological indicators because they tend to indicate the whole environment better. And, and, and Doug will tell you, and even Bill will tell you, they messed around with a lot of models before they came up with the right base temperature and the right in, you know, intervals and, and growing degree days are these artifacts we create to try to predict as a proxy for biological activity and phenological activity is a biological activity. And if it can be timed up, I think, because it takes into account many things. Uh, and we see that manifested in urban heat islands where urban areas, the forsythias are weeks ahead of rural forsythias. So I always like phenological indicators, Craig. And with that, Doug, always great to see you, pal. Thanks so much for taking the time. Carl, thanks for hosting. Yeah, we'll get everybody out of here. Uh, Masters Thursday, it'll be exciting to watch the, the firmness of the course. Looks like it's pretty firm this week so everybody uh you know enjoy that dustin johnson's gonna be my pick this week uh so you can go bet money out. well you can't bet anymore tournaments already sorry give it to you too late but uh everybody thanks thanks a ton we'll see you guys tomorrow evan uh maskets maskitty i think uh, we're gonna have to pronounce that right but he's gonna be have some cool stuff on infield skins tomorrow Another but uh, until then we'll, we'll, yep we'll see you guys uh tomorrow thanks everybody you, thanks Doug. everybody thanks a lot man Th thank you take care see you carl this has been a production of Cornell University, on the web at cornell.edu.